But I hope that as you were singing, the Holy Spirit was revealing to your heart the theology contained in the songs that we sang. Just tremendous theology. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When the Lord puts us in the palm of his hand, nothing can pluck us out. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Can peril, can tribulation, turbulence, uh, death, life, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And the fact that one of these days we will gaze upon him. We look through glasses dimly now, but one day we will be known as we are known, and we will see him for who he is, and we will be known for who we are. Praise God. Not the sinful folks that we struggle with and the things we struggle with, but that we will be glorified and guaranteed a spot in heaven because we have placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and I, I you know, I, I want to go. I don't want to go tomorrow or today, but I certainly want to go. I know that uh, I was listening to a song a little bit earlier this week, and uh, the truth of that song is everyone goes when they should. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. And so the Lord has a, an appointment with us out in our future where we will lay our lives down. Remember that Psalm 116, 15 says that the Lord literally enjoys or he celebrates when the death of one of his children take place. Not that he's happy that they die, but that he's happy that he finally can bring them to their real home. And as Abraham reminded us, we're just sojourning through the land, aren't we? This land really is not our home home. We're just here temporarily. Heaven is our home. And like Abraham also, we're looking for that city whose foundation, whose builder is God. And it's a city not made with hands, but it's a city that where the sun will be the light. So that's a sermon in and of itself. So amen. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you will, to take your, your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Um, this message uh, springboarded out of my heart a couple, three weeks ago. When I was talking to a young lady, uh, just prior to the, uh, just prior to the uh, gay uh, pride um, parade that, that was a couple Saturdays ago, and we got to talking a little bit about that and some of the difficulty that these young people face and that we face in this world today, the, uh, it seems that the acceptance of sin and the support of sin and the tolerance of sin and the celebration of sin is all around us, and we got to talking a little bit about uh, why she would walk and, and what were her thinkings and her thoughts in regard to, to how she would walk and what she would be doing there. Because she is a professing Christian. Uh, she's a member of a local church. She's involved in that church. And so I was trying to balance uh, her undertaking of support of that event in light of the truth of God's word. And we really uh, started talking a little bit about what is the truth? What is the truth? And so out of that conversation, the Lord gave me this message. I've entitled it, Living the Truth in a World of Lies. Living the Truth in a World of Lies. And I think it's fitting that if you look at the PowerPoint uh, that I chose, one of the things you'll notice is you'll notice there's an awful lot of darkness in the picture, isn't there? But there's a little bit of light. And one of the things that the Bible reminds us is that we are to be the light of the world. We are not to hide our our light on a, on a behind a bushel or under a bushel or under the shade of a lamp, but rather we are to let our light shine, as Matthew 5, 16 says. So let your light shine before men that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. And if you would agree with me or be thinking of me, as we think about the world we live in today in 2019, 
it seems to me that there's an awful lot of darkness and there's very little light. Light being synonymous with what the Bible calls truth. Darkness is representative in the Bible as evil, sin, light is representative of truth, of Christ. In fact, in John chapter 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He then talks about John the Baptist. He said, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness to the light. And, of course, we know that light to be the Lord Jesus. Then in verse 9, John says, there was a true light which cometh into the world, which enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Then he goes on to say, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and he's dwelt amongst us, and we have beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In essence, what John was saying and what the story in, John, in Acts chapter 19 will reveal to us is that we have to live the truth in a world of lies. Jesus came to his own people, the Jewish people. He was the light of the world, but yet they chose to walk in darkness rather than to accept the light. We live in the same environment today. The Lord Jesus has come that he might save the, the world of its sin, us individually of our sin. He is the light that is shining the truth into our hearts. But the reality is there are many, according to the Bible, who will not respond to that truth. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many are they who are traveling on that road. Narrow is the gate that leads to salvation and very few find it. That verse would be indicative of the PowerPoint cell, a lot of darkness and a little bit of light. Yet Jesus says that we have to be the light, go into the light and be the light of the world. And as the book of Acts unfolds, what we see is the foundation of truth, the foundation of life being revealed through the life of those who have come into the light and have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And one of the things we have to be mindful of living in this world today, as the gospel advanced then and as it continues to advance now, we need to make sure that we stay true to its content and also to its intent. The content of the gospel, if you remember, is to reveal to the world the love of God in Christ. You remember over in, uh, the Apostle Paul over in the book of Galatians, he would say to them, listen, who has bewitched you, foolish Galatians? Why are you distorting the truth? Why are you distorting the gospel? And he warns them uh, that as cursed is the man who would do anything to change the gospel that you've heard from me. And I heard it from the Lord himself. And so he reminds us that we have to make sure as we're living in this world that we are living according to the content, the truth of God's word. But then also we must live according to the intent of God's word. 
I think the intent is clearly defined in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. And then verse 17 says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So as we're thinking about the foundation of being a witness to the world, of living the truth in a world of lives, we have to make sure we are always true to the foundation of the truth, the content of the gospel, the content of God's word, and then also the intent of God's word. Paramount to growing by faith as a Christian is that the solid foundation of truth is laid upon the human heart. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And he says that in the context of telling his apostles, I'm getting ready to leave you. And Thomas says, wait a minute, where are you going? He says, well, you know the way. He says, no, I don't. He goes, yes, you do. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I've lived with you for three and a half years. Remember what I have told you. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, he's going to be that person of truth. He's going to remind you what I live for and what I've placed in you, and now you've got to go tell the world. Remember in, the, in John's gospel, in, in chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're being very, very critical of him. They're more concerned about the regulation and rules of religion than they are a relationship with the living God. And he begins to speak to them about the truth, and the truth is that he had come from the Father, and he said, listen, if you believe in me, you know the Father. If you don't believe in me, you don't know the Father. Well, they took exception to that. Didn't like that being told to them at all. And he says, but if you'll believe this truth, in chapter 8, verse 32, he says, so you, not, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In fact, he says later in verse 36, if you will believe the truth of who I am, whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. You remember also in John's gospel, you remember Jesus is having a conversation with Pilate. It's right before his eventual crucifixion. And as he's speaking with Pilate, Pilate says, so I hear that you're a king. And Jesus says, well, do you say that of your own accord or somebody tell you that? He said, well, what, am I a Jew? And Jesus says very plainly, he says, listen, if, if my kingdom was of this world, then I, I wouldn't be standing before you because those who follow me would fight for me. But I've come to convey the truth, to reveal the truth. In fact, for this very reason, I've come into the world. My kingdom is not of this world. And I think today there's a question that is being asked out there all the time is, what is truth? I think maybe people are, are uh, a little bit swayed by what channels they watch, <laughs> for what side of, a, of, of the political arena they might stand in or the moral arena or the social arena or the racial arena. And, and the bottom line is all of that has a little bit of truth, but also it has a lot of lies in it. And what we have to do as Christians is we have to discern the truth. We have to live the truth in a world of lies. You might think of it this way as we finally get to Acts 19. What the Apostle Paul was trying to do in his world and what Jesus was doing in his world is he was trying to help people get beyond the confusion of their own thinking because what one thinks is what one does. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? 
As a man thinketh, so he is. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's why the Bible encourages us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might find out what is the acceptable and the pleasing will of God. And as we're living this world and as they were living in their world, there was so much confusion going on. And in some respects, some downright lies going on. So Jesus came. God sent Jesus to correct that thinking. He also sent those who would eventually believe in Jesus into their world that it also might challenge and correct that thinking. And so that brings us this morning to the text of Acts chapter 19. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I just want to read the first 20 verses and then make some commentary uh, and some application and illustration and obviously some revelation of truth as it relates to our lives today as we think about living the truth in this world of lies. To set the background, Paul's on his third missionary journey. He comes to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus would have been an extremely important city in the first century uh, for several different reasons. One, it was an educational center. We'll talk a little bit about the the temple or the the, uh, library or or the actual speaking place of Tyrannus here. And then also the the theater that's in Ephesus a little bit later. But the reality was it was a place where there was a whole lot of discussion going on about what was going on in the world and what not to believe or to believe. It was a religious center because it housed the temple of Diana. Diana in that, it could be the Artemis in the Greek, Diana in the Hebrew or in in Rome. But the reality was that temple was at that time considered one of the seven wonders of the world. So it was a spectacle to behold, there's currently a replica of that in modern-day Turkey. It was unbelievable to behold. Out of that temple, there were a ton of mag- magicians and magic arts taking place. So anything that would have had to do with the, the magic arts or uh, anything that would be done with trickery or sorcery, that was a springboard to the people of Ephesus that they were experiencing these things because there's exorcisms going on. There's people that are doing things uh, by, the, by the magical arts, and they're conveying that as truth, and it's really not truth. And, of course, people were believing the falsehoods of that. And so all these things were taking place. And so in the reality of the context of this particular story, as, as Paul would spend a lot of time, more than three years in Ephesus, Ephesus he was continually having conversations and confronting these false truths. And much of the New Testament is to confront false truths, lies that have been added to the gospel. So this is what's taking place as uh, Luke shares with us under the inspiration, Luke being the writer of the book of Acts. He says, And it came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John was baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Well, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about 12 men, a correlation to the 12 disciples or 12 apostles. 
Verse 8, and then he, meaning Paul, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them, the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches, basically trying to cast them out. And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. In other words, he just put a hammer to them. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it to, to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And if you were to equate the denarii they, uh, that they made in those days and make the equivalent to today's uh, currency, it would have been worth about $7.6 million. So a lot of money was being uh, wrought by the, um, the changing, the repentance coming out of people's lives. And so the, the Bible says in verse 20, and so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. You may be seated. If you got it, your notes this morning and your little bulletin there, I'd like for you to follow along with me. And just want to make three observations with you this morning. Three truths, so to speak, as we live the truth in this world of lies. The first is this, is that there is truth. There is truth. Truth. What is truth? Truth is a belief in accordance with a fact or reality. Uh, if you think about the world of sports and what's just happened in the world of sports, one of the things we know is the St. Louis Blues, truthfully, by reality, have just won the Stanley Cup for the first time in their history. Amen. Got a, got a Blues fan out there somewhere, yeah? Amen. Come on. <laughs> if you're a Toronto Raptor fan in the NBA, truth that they just won, for the first time in their history, an NBA championship. If you're a Buckeye fan, the truth is it's probably going to be a pretty challenging season. Why is that? Well, we've got a new head coach, multiple new um, coaches on both sides of the football, a lot of new players, a lot of our offense disappeared. In fact, more than 50% of our offense disappeared uh, from last year. So the truth is, and I believe reality will bear that out by the time December comes along, that it's going to be a challenging year. Now, that doesn't mean it won't be a successful year. And remember, success, uh, for the Buckeyes at least, is making it to the playoff and then winning it. Anything else might be considered somewhat of a failure, right? So truth is this belief in the reality or the fact that something has occurred. Well, 
One of the things that we need to know, as you're filling in your blank there, is truth is revealed by the Holy Spirit, and it can be heard verbally, it can be seen visually, and you will know it is true because of the volitional change in people's lives. So let's think about that. So as Paul encounters these disciples, John's disciples in chapter 19, the first several verses, in essence, what they are doing is they are responding as to Paul's question, and in essence, what they have is incomplete truth or an incomplete faith. They have the first part of it, repentance, but then they need the second part of it, and that's believing in the Lord Jesus. Now, John had mentioned the one who was to come. They had not heard of the one to come. Now they finally do hear of the one to come. They find out that his name is Jesus, so they want to believe in Jesus, and they want to continue to repent. And as Paul gives them the Holy Spirit, which would have been a confirmation of the message and the messenger, the Bible says they immediately begin to prophesy, and they immediately begin to speak in a language of which they do not know. Verbally, they heard. Visually, they begin to do things that can be seen, and volitionally, all of a sudden, their lives have radically changed because now the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Is that not true of us today? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Jesus continually, as he walked the earth, said, he who has ears, let him hear, but he who has eyes, let him what? See, in fact, Jesus would even tell those who were critical of him, he said, listen, if you don't want to believe my word, at least believe my works. At least believe the things that you see me doing and the changes that are radically taking place in the lives in whom I am doing them too. There's an incomplete faith there, but then when faith is revealed, their lives radically change. Think about people you know today that have a little bit of incomplete faith, incomplete truth. They know a little bit of the truth of the Bible, but they don't know the entire truth of the Bible. They maybe have heard of Jesus, but they don't really believe in Jesus. A lot of people today take a little bit of the morsel, and instead of being able to eat the real meat and grow, they just chew on the morsel all the time. I don't know about you, but when I see a steak before me, I don't just want to bite. If you can put 16 ounces of an open ribeye on my plate, let me have a fork and knife and let's get to it. Amen? Now, 16 is a lot. Of, now it's more like 6 to 8. Back when I played football, it certainly was 16. Yeah. But they had an incomplete faith. They were responding to a complete truth, but it was incomplete in, in regard to the whole truth, the, the volume. When you see Paul, you see him living a compelling truth. He's met Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life is radically different. The one who used to persecute the church is now proclaiming the name of Christ. He has radically changed his life. His faith is compelling. The truth he's speaking is compelling. That's why he hung out there for years and people listened to what he had to say. This conversation uh, this, this discussion that, that continued to happen uh, in the hall of Tyrannus. So not only do we have people who have incomplete faith or, or they know a little bit of truth, but it's incomplete truth, but then we also around people who have compelling truth. It's almost like the old commercial E.F. Uh, e. Hutton, when E.F. When Hutton speaks what? People 
for those of you who are older, yeah, yeah, you listen. You listen. When Paul would speak, people would listen. When Jesus spoke, people would listen. Then the third thing I see there is then sometimes you have counterfeit truth. The sons of Sceva taking a truth, God has the power to heal in Christ, but they had no relationship with Christ, and therefore they were trying to use uh, that to manipulate uh, things for their own well-being. And what takes place, we know that the man who has the evil spirit in him, as they say, hey, by the name of Jesus, we cast you out. And I mean, I, I sometimes just have to think, what was this demon thinking? Like, <laughs> what? I don't know you. What are you talking about? Now, Jesus, I know. Paul, yeah. You? <laughs> uh, let me just put a hammer to you and get you out of this house. Leave me alone. And that's exactly what took place. And remember, there were times when the apostles or those followers of Jesus, remember the one story in the gospel where uh, the apostles are out and there's a man who has a son who, who the uh, demon inside of him continues to throw him in the fire and continues to throw him in the water and the apostles can't cast that demon out and they come back and the father says, how come you can't help me? Well, you got to fast and pray if you want to cast out this demon. In other words, you better have a good relationship with me. You better have a deep relationship with me if you're going to encounter this kind of demon. And then the father says, well, help my unbelief. And then immediately that demon's cast out of that son. And so these sons of Sceva were trying to use the Lord and use his word in regard to that. And if you think about it today, when we are rooted in the truth, the fact that there is truth, you can hear it. You can see it, and it brings a change in people's lives. If you're a Christian for very long, you should be like a Berean Christian. If I were to say anything this morning, if you are in the Word and the Word is in you, if you're abiding in the Word and the Word is abiding in you, if I said anything this morning that I would say was truth, that was actually contrary to the truth, the Holy Spirit who reveals truth and knows truth and authenticates truth would tell you what Jack said is not correct. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is. He is the counselor, the helper. He's the tutor. He's the one that helps us understand, know, and live by the truth, not the lies. And so as we think about the world we live in, don't you think there's a lot of people that saying, is there anything truthful today? There is truth. Now, there, uh, some people say there's lots of sources of truth, but we would say the ultimate source of tru truth is right here, right? As Christians, we believe the ultimate truth of all of life is right here. And the only thing that life does is authenticate what is revealed right here in the Word. So, truth number one, that there is truth. The second is people attempt to manipulate the truth. People try to manipulate. What does it mean to manipulate? It means to control or influence a person or a situation and to do it cleverly, unfairly, or unscrupulously. Now, let's think about the news today. I don't know how much you watch whatever news channel you watch. But one of the things that I have learned about the news, and I watch it very, very seldom these days, is the, the news no longer reports the news. They distort the news. Not only do they not report the news, they create the news. And then they slant it to their bias 
so that you will perceive it as ultimate or universal truth, but yet it's only coming from this very narrow way. One of the things we know in technology today is that you can manipulate what you see. That's why you can Photoshop somebody into a picture, (laughs) because you can manipulate what you see. And people today are manipulating what they want people to see. They are manipulating what they want people to hear, and they are manipulating what they want people to believe. And I literally could stand here for an hour and we could have a conversation about all those kind of things that are taking place in regard to that. I mean, it is a world of manipulation. And the Bible speaks volumes to how people try to either manipulate the truth or relate to the truth in a negative way. If you've got your pen, you can jot this along the the line here. In Romans 1.25, the Bible says that people try to change the truth. They change the truth of God for their own lies. In Romans chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says that people disobey the truth. They know it to be truth, but they're still not going to obey it. In Galatians 2.17, the Bible says that there are people who who walk contrary to the truth. So they would rather live a lie than live the truth. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12, the Bible says not only do they do that, but they don't love the truth, nor will they believe in the truth. Don't love it? Won't believe in it. As Paul would write Timothy in the last letter that we know, the last little epistle that he wrote before he was eventually killed in Rome, in chapter 2, verse 17 of 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, there's, there's going to come a time in the world when people won't even come to the truth. It'll either be too painful, too revealing, uh, too challenging for them. They won't come to it. Progressively, in chapter 3, verse 8, because they won't come to it, now they're going to oppose it. We're living in a world today where people oppose the truth over and over and over again. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, he goes as far as saying not only will people not come to it, not only will they oppose it, but eventually they'll just flat out turn from it. You ever heard somebody say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the truth. I'd rather believe the lie. I'd rather live the lie. So I think there are two pictures that are, are very, very much uh, true in this particular context. The first one is, you're filling the blank, blank there. You can't manipulate God because if you try, he'll organize your defeat. He'll organize your defeat. These sons of Sceva thought they could manipulate God for their own purposes, Remember, they're living in a society where magic arts are being esteemed and they're taking advantage of people, not only economically, but spiritually. So they see Paul show up, and so much so that uh, as he's doing his tent making, you know, the things he's wrapping around his head or the aprons that he's wearing or the handkerchiefs that he's wiping his sweat off, people are taking those. They're coming in contact with people who have diseases and those, and God is miraculously healing them. Now, there was no, there was no uh, special uh, uh, magical powers or supernatural in, in the aprons, much like I know you have anointing oil. It's not the anointing oil that heals, is it? It's the prayer of faith 
the expression that, hey, we believe that the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit of God has the power to heal, that if we anoint you and believe and we offer those prayers in faith, then you can be healed, right? And so in that day and in that world, that's what they were doing. They were trying to manipulate the truth. And eventually we know that the, the demon that was in the man said, you, you can't do that. You remember the story over there in uh, 1 Samuel when uh, uh, Eli, who was the priest, he had two sons, Hophni and, and um, Phinehas, and they fought against the Philistines, and the Philistines, in essence, um, defeated them, killed Hophni and Phinehas, and then eventually brought the word back to Eli, and then Eli fell on his sword. He actually fell back in his chair because they had taken the the representation, the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines had won the battle and taken it away, and the news of that caused him to fall back in his chair, break his neck, and he killed him. And then the Philistines took that, and they took the, the Ark of the Covenant because, again, it was the re physical representation of the power of the living God, and they put it in the temple of Dagon thinking that, well, I got Dagon, now I got God. Man, we are really powerful. And the Bible says that when they did that, Dagon fell apart, and eventually the Philistines said, get this Ark out of here. And it got moved back to Jerusalem where it was supposed to be. What were they trying to do? They were trying to manipulate the truth. Remember that the Bible says, and I think this is one of the most haunting scriptures to understand and apply in our, our lives. Remember over there in, in Matthew chapter 7? Jesus says, there's going to be people that are going to come before me in judgment one day. And they're going to say, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not heal the sick in your name? Did I not prophesy in your name? And what does Jesus say to them? Depart from me because I never knew you. You may have done things in my name, and I am true to my name, and those things occur, but you didn't know me at all, much like these sons. You didn't know me. You had no relationship with me. I was being true to my word. You were being true to your own motives. Very, very difficult scripture and a frightening scripture to understand. So the two pictures as we think about people attempting to manipulate the truth is one is don't try to use or misuse God because if you do, he's going to, he'll beat you a lot worse than what the, that demon did to those guys in that room. <laughs> Second thing is too often people don't respond to biblical truth until they experience personal gain or overshadowing fear until they experience personal gain or personal pain or overwhelming fear. I don't think there's a better picture of that. It's certainly true in this context. Those guys experienced personal pain. That personal pain led to overshadowing fear from the others, and then all of a sudden they realized we can't manipulate God by doing the magic arts. I think the good picture of this is the thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus when Jesus is crucified, and they're crucified too. That man was experiencing personal pain. And as he began to ridicule the Lord in the very beginning of the crucifixion, as he hung on the cross for three hours and he noticed Jesus, all of a sudden he had an overshadowing fear that this guy really is the guy he says he is. And therefore, that's why he said to his other buddy over there, hey, we are getting our just punishment, but this guy is innocent. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom and praise God, his grace, even in the last drawing of our own breath or the last drawing of his breath, physically says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. 
point, side point, don't ever give up on somebody's salvation even to their last breath, to their very last breath. Because even in their last breath, we don't know of anything else that man said, do we? We know what Jesus said, but we don't know of anything else that man said other than remember me when you come into your kingdom. And if I were to just begin to tell you about the, the, the scriptures to talk about the fear of the Lord, we could go on for the rest of the afternoon and talk about those scriptures. Say, listen, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. <laughs> now, thank goodness if you're in Christ this morning, you don't fear his condemnation because Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But we do fear in reverence his holy power, the ability that he can do things according to his will, whether we agree with them or not. I want to get to the last point as we close this morning. The third truth I want you to know is, as followers of Jesus, we must live the truth. Turn ahead with me real quick just to the book of Ephesians, since how this story in Acts 19 takes place in Ephesus. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to begin reading in verse 17. A little bit of shedding, a little bit of light about the fact that if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to live the truth in this world of darkness. We've got to live the truth in this world of lies. Verse 17, Paul says, This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord, that you are to walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their, not, in, in their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your formal manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God that has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside every falsehood, lie, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then he talks about be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger, don't give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth as only for the good, for the education according to the deed of that moment, that it might give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And just as God in Christ has also forgive you. And Paul says all this. He says, be imitators of God. And then he goes on to say, walk in the light. Walk in the truth. So one of the things that makes you and I weird and peculiar is that we walk in truth. And remember that the Bible says one of these days people are going to be without excuse as to how they respond to the truth, right? People deep down know the truth, or at least they have a desire to know the truth. And it's up to us to be light shining in the darkness of this world that we might encourage them. So in other words, point three is followers of Jesus must live the truth. Christians should be different, and we should be dedicated. We should be different, and we should be dedicated. You might say this, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, For we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a peculiar people who must show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We had not once received mercy, but now we have mercy. We were once not a part of the family of God. Now we are the family of God. I hope that as you're walking and talking in the highways and byways of life, that you live in such a manner that people think you're weird in a good way. What is wrong with you? It's Jesus in me that's wrong with me. Why do you speak that? Or why would you say that? Or why would you do this? Because of the truth revealed to me by the word of the living God. That's why I do what I do. So we should be different and we should be dedicated. The second is that we need to assist people in their spiritual walk or their spiritual journey by connecting to them and by having conversations with them. And you might want to add another blank, having compassion on them, having compassion on them. So in the third part of the story, after the sons of Sceva, uh, who try to manipulate God, get, get their hind ends beaten up and they run out wounded and naked, all of a sudden that the overshadowing fear, the truth that is revealed, causes people who are in those practices all of a sudden to confess or to fess up, to get rid of those things, so much so that they're continually bringing their practices, their beliefs, their, their contations, uh, the books that they're doing because they're reading about these magical arts, and all of a sudden they're burning these things. And what that is is a picture of radical repentance. All of a sudden their lives are radically changed. And because of that, now they realize we have to live by the truth. And the truth is what we've been living is a lie. Now we need to get rid of the lie. We need to live and walk in the truth. When I preached for you a little over a month ago, uh, I had just come back from Israel. And since then, I would hope that I preached a little bit differently. I hope I sound a little bit differently today, a little bit more conviction and those kind of things. Not that I didn't have that before, but... When you experience what I experienced while I was in Israel for 11 days and you look at what the Lord Jesus did and where he did it and how he did it in the stories, it just radically impacts your life. And if there's one thing that I know as we were spending three or four days around the Sea of Galilee is that Jesus was continually connecting to people. He was continually having conversations with people. And when we, or in his day, the Pharisees and Sadducees would condemn people, he wasn't condemning people. He was having compassion upon them. And think about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an unbelievable city, unbelievable city. I've been in New York. I grew up in Chicago. I've been in and out of L.A. just a little bit. None of those compare to me with Israel, with with Jerusalem. Unbelievable city. The melting pot of the world. Languages, nationalities, tribes, tongue, Uh, all the things that it represents. 80% of the Christian world sees Jerusalem as the most important city in all of society, in all of civilization. Why? Because it's where Jesus was. It's where he was crucified. And one of the things that's interesting as you go there, if if you haven't been there, I, I would encourage you, save your dollars and go. It's unbelievable. And as Jesus went to that city, during the times of celebration, during the festivals, from the young child we know at 12 to eventually the time he would go and eventually be killed there, he went there because he was connecting with people. While he was there, he had conversations with people. 
And while he was there, he encountered some people. And rather than condemn them, he had compassion upon them. And because he had compassion upon them, they eventually would come to believe in his goodness, his life, and his message. You might say they came to believe in the truth. So the question we have to ask ourselves today, if you're in Christ this morning, are you living the truth? Are you living in the truth? Or are you living a lie? If you're living a lie, accept the great compassion of the Lord, the great forgiveness of the Lord. Be faithful, confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, if your blackboard of life, your chalkboard of life is full of sin, confess it to the Lord so he can take the eraser of his goodness and wipe away all those things. And start afresh and new. That's one of the great things about God. We can start afresh and anew every single day. In fact, every single moment. And the more we yield to him every single day and every single moment, the more we're going to make a difference in the world. And then the other question is, are we sharing it? Are we talking about it? You know, it seems like to me the people who are trumpeting and, and, and uh, speaking loudly about sin today, they aren't quiet. They are very vocal very vocal. And it's almost like we are kind of cowering in the background. Oh, I'm afraid I might insult somebody. I'm afraid I might hurt somebody's feelings. You know, we can't speak the truth in love, and sometimes the love does hurt, doesn't it? As long as it doesn't come with a cantankerous, condemning spirit. And so the reality is we got to live the truth in a world of lies. And may that challenge each and every one of us in this room that know the name of Christ. That should challenge us every day. You know, the truth of the songs that we sing, golly, <laughs> unbelievable truth. It's hard for a pastor to see behind him, but I, I sure hope y'all are getting excited about the songs you are singing. And you know what? I'm an older person now. I've got gray hair, right? And it's really not the style of music that's important. It's really the truth of the music that's important. And yeah, choruses are different. I, I miss the old hymns. I miss the hymnals sometimes. Not that I need to have them in front of me, because the bottom line is I can't see that close and that well, right? So I can see the screen. You know, I can see the big words up there. But the reality is when you sing unto the Lord, it should be with a heart of gladness. It should be with the fact that he's you know, saved you, he's redeemed your life, and there should be a certain sense of joy in that. Even if you don't know the words, heck, make a joyful noise. <laughs> my wife and I, uh, my wife and I yesterday uh, called my brother who turned 71 and, and sang happy birthday to him, and we started off off key. And when he called us back, he said, y'all need some singing lessons. <laughs> but the reality is we were just celebrating the joy of him living another year. We should celebrate the joy of every moment that we have because we've been redeemed by Jesus. That we've heard the truth, the truth has set us free, and one of these days the truth as we know it and as we perceive it and as we live it will come real truth and the reality when we hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful service. Now enter into the kingdom which I prepared for you in which to live. If you're here this morning and you 
aren't in Christ, you may think your life is living the truth, but it's really living a lie because it hasn't responded yet to the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of Jesus and his fact that he gave his life for you, and you need to surrender your life to him so you can live abundant life, truthful life. We certainly will give you that opportunity this morning. Remember that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So every day we have to balance truth and lies. Every day we have to say, do we want a relationship with Christ or we just want the ritual of religion? Do we want to be compassionate towards others or do we want to throw rocks at them? Do we want God's blessings or do we want to live under his curses? Will we do good or will we yield to evil? Will we do what's better or will we do what's best? Will we pursue holiness or will we pursue sinfulness? Will we walk in light or will we live in darkness? Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you and bless you in the great and wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the truth of your scripture.